0: Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, and while you turn there, I'll pray for us. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that there's nothing new under the sun. Although there may seem to be many things under the sun that are new to us, nothing is new to you. Nothing is surprising to you. Nothing catches you off balance, unprepared. And so, or the sin of worry, anxiety, and everything that goes along with it, uh, you are fully aware of. There, there may be a lot of mystery for us but there's no mystery for you. And so, Father, I pray for all of us, whether we struggle terribly with anxiety in all of its different forms or whether we don't really struggle but we love people that do and we are seeking to help them, I pray this morning that you would be personally speaking to us through your word in a life-transforming way. Would you give us more peace? Uh, would you give us more hope would you give us more insight would you give us more strength we pray all this in Christ's name amen Amen. all right Um, I think a lot of you probably were here we had a little breakfast announcements last week and one of the things I said is human history has been going on for thousands of years and the first anxiety meds were invented in 1950 and they basically marketed it as like an emotional aspirin Uh, and you know since then that market has exploded Um, There there are some people in the Christian community that would say, if you ever take medicine to address anything to do with anxiety or depression, you're sinful because you don't trust God enough. I don't think that's true. I don't think you can make that argument from the Bible. So that's not what we're trying to say here in this class. I I think there is a place to talk to a doctor, to talk to a counselor, a psychiatrist, a Um, psychologist at times about certain types of anxiety depression OCD things like that but that's not primarily what we're going to do in this uh, Sunday school community time because that's not my area of expertise Um, I don't know if I have any area of expertise but if I have any uh, at least ambition to have an area of expertise it's not in the medical community there are other doctors in this church you could talk to but it would be in the scriptures and so what we're going to try to look at is how did people deal with with all the problems associated with worry and anxiety before we had all these medical ways to address it. Okay. Because here's what I think. I think in most people, even if there is maybe a real chemical imbalance, maybe something genetic that is pushing them more towards worry and anxiety, almost certainly there is also a spiritual component. sinful component does that make sense and it doesn't mean that we should tar and feather them as how dare you struggle with this no there should be a lot of compassion and we ought to address it in a holistic way because we're holistic people and we're interwoven but let's just say it was it was a thirds a third of it was something just genetic they had going on a third of it was some trauma they had in their life that's affected their the chemicals in their mind but a third of it was a sin struggle well let's let's just make sure we don't leave out that third that is a spiritual sin struggle while we're addressing the others. Does that make sense? And and as best I understand, as best I've been ministering to myself, ministering to others, now I would say that nine times out of ten, in my experience, the spiritual component is at least 51% of it. It may not be the whole thing. It may not always be the majority, but it's at least a large part of it. So in light of that, we're going to look at this very famous passage in Philippians chapter 4 about... Uh, worry. Now, the first thing I want to do is really define worry. Define worry. And, and here would be maybe a surprising definition, but worry is actually a form of pride. <laughs> Sometimes we think of worry as a sin that is more of kind of this sin of weakness. Oh, I'm just so weak. I'm so overwhelmed. But really, the more you biblically look at the sin of worry, it's really a form of pride. And I'll show you this in a couple of different places. Um, well, let's just look, being that we're here, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let the peace of God, excuse me, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, at least the way Paul talks about it, all anxiety is sin. That's pretty strong. Now, Philippians chapter 4, skip down to verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have. Revived your concern for me. And what he's talking about is there was this church in Philippi that had started sending him money. And he's like, you're concerned for me, you're sending me money, and I'm glad you're concerned. Here's the point. The word there in the Greek it's the same word for anxiety and concern. So there is a right, proper way to be concerned about things that's not sinful. Jesus would have been concerned. The church at Philippi was concerned for Paul, and Paul doesn't say, how dare you? He doesn't rebuke them. He praises them. He's like, I'm so glad you guys are concerned about me. It's a good thing. But there's a line where you can cross from concern into worry and anxiety, and that's when you're in sin. Does that make sense? And part of what we're trying to do here is define where does that line happen. So a proper godly concern for someone or some event has an attitude that says basically this. I'm going to do everything I can to be faithful in this situation. That's good concern. I care, I'm involved, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do everything I can to be faithful in the situation. But the results aren't up to me. Whatever happens, I can't guarantee the results. When you start to say, I'm going to do everything I can to be faithful, and by golly, I better get this certain result, and if this result doesn't happen, I'm going to be bothered, now you're worrying. Now you're anxious. Because our job is to be faithful. God's job is to guarantee results. That's out of our hands. And when you try to put yourself in the place of God, it will always be overwhelming and crushing. Does that make sense? And that's why I say worry is really a form of pride. It's you thinking that you can do more than you can actually do, more than God has actually asked you to do. So that's why worry can be so deflating, so defeating, so debilitating all at the same time. Now, keep your finger here uh, in Philippians 4 and flip to the left for just a second. Matthew chapter 6, which is a passage we may look at later on. Uh, But Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, some of Jesus' most famous teaching on worry. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I mean, he's saying, listen, don't worry about anything. It's not okay to worry about food. Drink, shelter, clothes, your physical health. I mean, the most basic stuff, he says, don't be anxious. Well, be faithful, but don't feel like the burden is on your back to guarantee results. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 5 for a second. I just want you to see kind of a whole. in maybe You're like, maybe Paul was just a zealot. Maybe Paul was exaggerating. You know, sometimes preachers do that, and I agree. Sometimes preachers do that. But the biblically inspired authors, when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, what they're saying is very accurate. And what I want you see is, Jesus, Paul, and Peter, kind of a New Testament hall of fame, they all agree about this sin of worry. Don't do it. First Peter chapter 5, and let's look at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Now just pause there for a second. How many of you have ever had somebody say to you hey you need to humble yourself right I have and have you ever really thought about like okay I want to do that and then it's like what exactly does that mean to humble myself I mean practically how do I humble myself well look at what Peter says the practical way to humble yourself is to take the anxieties off your back and give them to God it's basically like saying hey God this is too important for me this is too big for me this is above my pay grade I can't handle this. What was I thinking? What was I doing thinking that I can handle this? Uh, I work out at a gym in Birmingham. It's kind of a CrossFit gym. Some of y'all may be familiar with that kind of stuff, but the, you know, there's a couple of guys you know, that have come out of Birmingham over the years, not many, but a couple that have actually gone on to play football in the NFL. And every once in a while, one of them will come back to Birmingham, they'll come to one of these gyms and work out. And so once or twice, I've been able to actually work out with an NFL athlete. I mean, just, I don't have all these stories. I have like one story, really. And sometimes you'll do these things called partner workouts, you know, where you're like doing it together. And, so, and sometimes what you do is you run, and while you're running, you're carrying something very heavy. Now, imagine how stupid it would be for me if it's me and an NFL athlete working out. And I'm like, hey, you know what? Let me carry the heavy weight while we run. I mean, this guy can carry the heavy weight and run faster than me with no heavy weight. Do you see how stupid, immature, arrogant it would be to say, no, no, I got the heavy weight while we run. But guys, that's a lot of times what we do in our walk with the Lord. We're like, I want to guarantee certain results, and we kind of say to God, "No, no, no I got this. Let me handle it, God." When it should be the other way, saying, "God, I want you to handle it." Okay. Imagine if uh, you got a bunch of money and you decided, you know what? I love downtown Florence. I want to have a home in downtown Florence, but you're also getting a little bit older. Your knees are starting to hurt. You're sick of having going up and down stairs. You're like, I'm going to buy a nice big lot in downtown Florence so I can walk to all my favorite restaurants, but it's going to have no stairs. It's going to be one level. It's going to be very flat. And so you lay the foundation. You get things going, but some engineer or whoever construction company comes in and somehow they misplace the blueprints, and they think there's a new 20-story skyscraper supposed to go in downtown. And they try to build that new hotel or whatever on the foundation that has been laid for your one-story house. Now, I'm not an engineer, so I don't exactly know, but I'm pretty sure that's not going to work out well. At some point, the weight of that building is going to overwhelm the foundation. And guys, it's like God has given us a one-story foundation in our heart. He's like, you know what? You can handle little tiny burdens. It's just called daily faithfulness. But when we try to act like we can handle a skyscraper of responsibilities on our heart, it crushes us. And that's why I say worry is a type of pride. Um. so all my kids go to a school in Birmingham and they do, I think it's in fifth grade they do a Washington D.C. trip any, any of y'all have schools that do that or you did that when you were a kid and, and they want a parent to go right? so I've been on two of these trips and the teachers I think almost feel guilty like The kids are getting to have a free vacation, so we gotta make them work while they're on this Washington, D.C. trip. So they have to make this scrapbook, you know, and collect take all these pictures and collect all these brochures, and it's really ridiculous in my humble opinion, but they didn't ask me. Uh, And so I was on one of these trips with one of my sons, and we've been to all these different places, and he's very dutiful. He likes good grades, he's a hard worker, he's smart, he's taking all the pictures, he's collecting all the stuff, and he wants to do it. And uh, the very, the next to the last day, we go to some museum and we're leaving, we get on the buses, we're leaving, and he comes to me with panic and little tears in his eyes like, dad, my backpack with my notebook, with my camera, with all my brochures, I left it in the museum. And what am I gonna do? And he's panicked. And I'm thinking, cause I'm standing there on the bus as we're pulling out, you know, and it's like a six bus caravan. I know number one, there's no way we're gonna turn the whole six bus caravan around for one kid. I also knew as we were walking out of the museum, they were locking up, like we were the last crew that were shut down. So probably we couldn't even get back in there anyway. So I'm basically thinking, I'll have to do something in the morning, right? And this is all happening. I'm just processing in my head because he's a fifth grader. So they say, hey buddy, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll figure it out. Well, my calm, cool demeanor didn't give him a sense of confidence. It made him panic all the more because he assumed dad doesn't care. Dad doesn't get how big of a deal this is. This is important to me. It's not important to dad. So he started to get louder, more panicked, more tears. Make sense? Okay. He was trying to take that burden on his back, and it wasn't working well. Now, what I had to do is I had to get down on my knees on the bus, look him at eyeball and eyeball, and explain to him, here's the facts. But here's what I also know. I can wake up early. I can get an Uber if I have to. I'll come back over here in the morning. I'm going to handle it. Don't worry about it. And at some point, as I'm looking him eyeball and eyeball, explaining to him, it's like the peace that I had started to transfer into his soul, and then he was able to wipe his little tears out of his eyes and go back to the back of his bus and hang out with his friends and have a good time, which is what he's supposed to do as a fifth grader. Makes sense. But how many times, guys, in our lives do we have situations where we're praying to God about something that feels really, really important to us, feels overwhelming, it feels crushing, it feels life-threatening maybe, And what we feel like we're getting from Father God in heaven is what? Just kind of this cool, calm demeanor, like, hey, don't worry about it, I got it. And we're like, no, I would like some thunder and lightning or something, right? I would like a sign that you've heard me. But oftentimes, we need to lay our pride down. We need to cast our anxieties onto him and just leave them there, okay? Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone that comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those that seek him. That's like an essential of faith. That you believe that God exists, it's like, okay, no duh. But the second part is that if I am really a person of prayer, seeking God, casting my anxieties on him, he's going to reward me. He won't always reward me in all the ways that I want. He won't reward me in all the exact timing that I want but in the long run he's going to reward me and I got to trust that and that's humility to say I trust you God I'll do my little job of faithfulness you do your job taking care of results last thing if you're still there in first Peter or you want to flip back I want you to notice this one of the first verses I remember because it stands out because it's such an interesting verse is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And I don't even know that I had it memorized, but it's just one of those verses that probably even from elementary school kind of sticks in your brain because you have this mental image of like the lion of Satan is coming around trying to eat you up. And later in life, if somebody would said, Olin, what's the context of 1 Peter 5, 8? You know, I probably would have said, well, maybe it's something like the love of money, right? That's supposed to be the root of all evil. That seems to really mess a lot of people up. Maybe something about sexual sin. That can be really big and bad and deadly. But the context really is more about worry and pride. It can be the jaws of Satan where he will chew you up and spit you out if you let him. So, don't go there. So, define worry. It's pride. But how do we defeat worry? It's prayer. So, you know, there are some sins in our life that there are a lot of practical steps that you could take to kill pretty quickly. Like if, you, if you're an alcoholic, you could say, well, you know what, I'm going to get rid of all the alcohol in my house, and I just, I'm never going to go out to a restaurant again that serves alcohol. I might have to eat at McDonald's the rest of my life, you know, <laughs> but if that's the price I got to pay, okay, I like Quarter Pounder with cheese, it'll all work out. They're, they're, they're very practical things. But here's the problem. Worry isn't exactly like that, is it? I heard another preacher say, nobody plans to worry. I mean, some people do plan to get drunk. Most people don't say, you know what, Friday night at 6 p.m., I hadn't worried all week. I think I'm going to pencil in about 30 minutes to worry. <laughs> right? Well, Worry feels more like a virus that sneaks up on you, and you're like, I caught something over the weekend. I don't know what happened, but now I'm sick. And so it feels much more subjective in how we're supposed to fight it. But but the answer is, it's our prayer life. Now, uh, flip back to Psalm chapter 3 for just a minute. Psalm chapter 3, and this is a psalm that David wrote when Absalom, his son, is trying to overthrow him and take over the kingdom, and David's on the run. He just escapes from the city. They get across the river. He's camping out, but he can literally probably see, maybe even hear, the army across the river that's coming to get him. And it's not just any army. I mean, that would be bad enough. You're a king, chased off your throne, somebody trying to kill you. That's bad. But, oh, oh, by the way, it's your son. He hates you so much he wants to murder you. I mean, just, just think about the emotional trauma that that would be, having to deal with that. And as David was leaving the city, some of Saul's old henchmen were there cursing him, like, you know what? We always thought you were a man of bloodshed, and now you're getting what you deserve, you did some big bad sins, which you had, right? He committed adultery. He committed murder. And they're like, God's finally judging you. He's abandoned you. So it's not just the physical threat. It's the spiritual threat. of I mean, have you ever been in physical life circumstances where, even if you know all the right theology, it's like, what it feels like is God has cut me loose. I am out here on my own. I know the truth, but I don't feel the truth because circumstances seem to be speaking to me very loudly, and what they're saying is God hates you or doesn't like you or just doesn't care he's done with you. David's in a situation like that, and look at how he's going to pray. Psalm 3, starting verse 1. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. So in a sense, you could say he's starting out in a place of panic. I mean, but I think he's doing what 1 Peter chapter 5 said. He's taking the anxieties of his heart and he's saying, I cast them onto you, Father. I can't handle them, but you can. Okay. But then he's going to move from panic. And in a sense, what he's going to be doing, he's preaching to himself. which Just another word for meditation. He's preaching to himself. Look at what he starts in verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I mean, you're going to physically protect me, but you emotionally sustain me as well. I cried aloud to the Lord, and He answered me from His holy hill. Part of what he's saying is, you know what? I've been in really bad circumstances before. I had years of running around, being chased by the king, trying to kill me. I've been here before. And God always came through. Verse 5. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. Again, Put yourself in his shoes. You've run out of the city. The army's chasing you. People are cursing you. You can probably see the campfires right across the rivers. They're coming at daybreak. And he said, but you know what? Yeah, I had some panic in my heart. I cast it on the Lord. I started preaching to myself. I started reminding myself of God's past deliverances. And you know what happened? Peace came into my soul. How much peace? Enough that I laid down and I got a great night's sleep. It's very practical. How many of you have ever heard the phrase before, preach the gospel to yourself? It's a great phrase. Here's a little addendum to go with it. Preach your own history to yourself. I mean, it's great to preach the cross of Christ to yourself. I'm I'm not diminishing that at all. I'm just saying, it can also be very helpful, like David, when you say, you know what? I was in a situation 20 years ago, and it looked so bad, and it looked so bleak, and it looked so hard. It looked overwhelming, and and I prayed, and then you know what? After two years, God answered my prayer. In fact, he answered it in such a big, beautiful way that I don't have any more fear anymore. It was better than I could have imagined. And when you see God working that way in your own life, your own testimony, it brings a lot of freedom. I mean, part of what it's doing, just practically, guys, it's getting the eyes of your heart off of your own circumstances and back onto the king on his throne where everything is peaceful, everything is calm. Okay. Um, All right. Back to Philippians 4. Prayer. Prayer is the way that we really defeat worry. We attack worry. We fight against worry. Okay? You want prayer that includes praise and it includes preaching to yourself. And that's what will take the panic to turn it again to peace. So flip back to Philippians chapter 4. And here's a phrase that I kind of developed that has helped me a lot, maybe the most, in, in, in fighting worry in my own life worry is a conversation that you have with yourself about something you can't do anything about right i mean think about my little fifth grade son on the bus oh no i left my stuff what's going to happen i'm going to get a zero but i don't have the power i don't have the influence to turn the bus around and my dad doesn't seem to be listening and what am i going to do and i I just that's what worry is Worry is a conversation you have with yourself. You're like a rat on the wheel, wheel just going around, but you're not making any progress. You know what prayer is? Prayer is just a conversation with God about something He can do everything about. So, I mean, I know this seems almost too simplistic, but I'm telling you guys, it works. Just invite God into the conversation. God, I am freaking out over here about money, about the lack of money, about the bills that are coming. Right? I can already think about the extra taxes I'm going to have to pay next year and I can already look at the bank account and there's not going to be enough or the health situation and why haven't we gotten the scans back and I can't believe that happened. You bring God into the conversation. You quit trying to solve it yourself. Okay? In some sense, my son, he brought me into the conversation. I had to kind of force myself a little bit into the conversation. But you bring God in and the peace will come. Cast your worries onto him. Look back, Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. So, nature hates a vacuum. Do you remember the parable that Jesus told? It's a really weird parable. He said, I mean, basically, this is the layman's version, but he said, if you have a demon and you cast the demon out, and then you get your heart all fixed up, you kind of sweep it and clean it, but you don't put anything else in your heart, you know what's going to happen? The demon's going to come back and bring seven of his best friends. Basically saying it's going to be worse. It's not enough just to kick worry out. You've got to put something in his place. And what do you put in his place? You put prayer. You put prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. So listen, guys, nothing is too small. A kid's backpack on the fifth grade trip, and nothing is too big. The salvation of a loved one. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. So stay in a place of thanks. I trust you. You're good. You've done a lot of good stuff in the past. I'm praising you for that. Let your requests be made known to God. You just... And listen, back at First Peter chapter 5, you don't have to go back there, but where it says casting your anxieties on Him, the only other place in the New Testament that word is used in exactly the same way was when Jesus was going to ride in on the donkey in the triumphal entry. And they they took their cloaks off and they cast them onto the donkey. And I just love that mental image. It's like the Prince of Peace is riding by. Take the anxieties off your back like a coat and just throw it onto his donkey and let him ride away. Let him handle it. Because he will. Now, it doesn't always happen that easy. I understand. So pride, prayer, and then... What do you do to displace worry? It's peace. Really, you you pray, you persevere in prayer until peace really starts to come. There has to be patience. There has to be perseverance. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 5 again. Get just a little bit more of the context. Think about everything we've talked about thus far. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And just pause there. How many of our struggles with God are really about timing? (laughs) Hey, God, if you would just do what I want today, everything would be fine. If I have to wait 18 years, I'm not so sure I like that. I'm not sure if I like waiting 18 minutes. Humble yourself, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, At the proper time, and then verse 10, a little while. But what if the little while is 60 years? I mean, what if there's something going on in my life that God says, hey, Owen, you're gonna struggle with that to the day you die? And oh, by the way, I'm gonna let you live a long time. (laughs) Thanks for nothing, right? Except 60 years in light of eternity is nothing, right? I mean, it's a blink, it's a second. Christians have a great retirement plan that lasts for all eternity. And there will be no pain, no suffering, no worry, no anxiety, not even any temptation. That's part of the peace that we need to meditate on that we bring into our heart. Back to Philippians chapter 4. Guys, if Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 is a command, don't be anxious. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 is a promise. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when you are really struggling with anxiety, one of the best things you can do is take Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 to God like a check that he signed and say, I want to cash this in. This is a promise. You told me if I prayed, the word would go away. That's a great way to pray. I mean, the best way to pray is when you take Scripture back to God. So let me give you a really personal example. Uh, I've been on staff with Campus Outreach almost 25 years now. Part of the way it works is you, you, raise, you raise your money for your support package and all that. And so there have been more than one years where it gets late in the year, December, and not enough money. And I feel like I'm, I'm a pretty hard worker. I'm a faithful guy. It's so like I've made all the phone calls. I've sent the letters, emails, texts, meetings, asked people, and it's just like the money is not coming in. And literally, it's like it starts to feel almost like a physical burden. You ever had a worry like this in your life where it's like I can almost feel a weight on my back? And you're trying to go to sleep. And the sleep's not coming because you're worried. Sometimes I'm almost just sweating. Again, and it's like the rat is running on the wheel. What am I going to do? I've done everything. It's not happening. You know, worst case scenario, sir. And I start praying. Now, I wish I could tell you all you have to do is pray for like two seconds. Just God help me. And it's just a magic trick. That has not been my experience. Oftentimes, I might have to lay there and pray for 30 minutes, an hour, maybe longer. But here's the thing, guys. If I will persevere in prayer and kind of say, hey, God, you told me. So here I am, coming. I'm cashing in on this promise. You told me if I tried to resist Satan, if I tried to resist worry, and I persevered in prayer, that eventually peace would come. And, guys, look at the promise again. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It doesn't always make sense. It's not always logical to us. Right? It's it's not less than logical. It's it's super logical. It's better than logic. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's like God says, I'm going to appoint a bouncer outside of your heart named peace. And when the anxieties start to come, he just won't let them in. You persevere and pray in that until it becomes your experience. And guys, I'm just telling you, eventually the peace will come. Like a flood. And sleep will come. And there have been times, literally, in this situation, it's happened more than once, where I wake up the next morning and my wife can tell because she could tell I was weighed down and I've been talking about it with her. And she's starting, you know, then, then my worry starts to become her worry, right? That's one of the beauties of marriage. So she's like, wakes up and she can tell I'm in a much better mood. It's almost like I'm kind of singing and dancing around the kitchen. And she's like, What happened? Did we get a big check in the mail last night that I didn't know about? I'm like, No. She's like, Well, Did you figure out some new plan? I was like, nope. She's like, why are you so happy then? It's like, because you know what? I got my eyes off myself. I got my eyes back on the God. And part of what I preach to myself is this. We've been doing this for 20 plus years, and we've never ended the year in a deficit. We come real close sometimes. It's kind of like God likes to tease us every once in a while. But we got a 20 plus year track record of God coming through every single time, so I'm not going to worry Does that make sense? But it's a fight, guys. It's a fight. All right, now, some of you right now may be saying this. You may be saying, uh, that's nice, Owen. I hear what you're saying, but what I'm dealing with is a lot worse than a backpack on the DC trip or even just a little bit of lack of money. Right, maybe I'm dealing with, just found out about a brain tumor and it's a death sentence. Something else horrible going on in family life. Or maybe some of you are like, I'm so new in the faith that I don't know that I have a history of 20 years of God's faithfulness to preach to myself. And literally, I was talking about something like this to a guy one time, and he said, I feel like what I'm going through is like hell on earth. And I understand that phrase, I don't think it's the best phrase to use. (laughs) But I understand it because sometimes we feel that way. Because literally there was only one man who literally ever went through hell on earth. When the Lord Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross taking hell for all his people. But guys, remember how he got through that. Listen, if there was ever a human being that had a right to worry, it was Christ facing hell. To whatever degree you can go up to the line of concern and not cross into worry, he did it. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. I mean, he, he, he was tempted in every way that we are, certainly with this, but he never gained. And how did he fight? He prayed. He meditated on the Psalms. He's quoting them to himself so that by the end he could say, Into thy hands I commit my spirit. He was at a place of peace. He persevered in prayer. If it worked for him, it'll work for us. The Lord Jesus Christ is our great example. But so much more importantly and so much more sweetly, he's our Savior, guys. Even when we blow it, even when we feel like we're drowning in worry, we can look to him. And if, if you're new in the faith and you're like, I don't have 20 years of God's faithfulness, the cross is part of your story if you're in Christ because you've been joined to him. And you can just preach the cross to yourself, meditate on that, and that ought to bring a real sense of worry being put to death, and the sense of peace rising. Again, not perfectly, but slowly, but surely, progressively in your hearts. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your example. Thank you much more for your salvation. I pray for all of us that you would teach us better how to turn worry into prayer and experience your peace. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.